You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. Check out Dogs Are Treat at dogsartreat.com. And if you go to their website at checkout and enter the code HXP20% off, you will get 20% off of your entire order on all of their branded products. Leashes, tie-outs, medical kits, paws are protected. Build your pack from the ground up and support a fellow houndsman that supports your lifestyle. Enter the code HXP20% off at checkout. Go to their website today at dogsartreed.com. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week can you spend out there? As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get, I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> We have the whole team together for this episode of the Houndsman XP Podcast. Shorty, Seth, and Lauren are all in the house together. And we gang up on Josh McKellis, who can hold his own Josh uh, second or third time on the podcast, I think, but uh, of Big Show Productions. Check out his YouTube channel. He's interviewed some great houndsmen there. And um, he brings... A perspective to this conversation from the competition coon hunting world, and um, glad to have Josh on the on the podcast. You're really going to enjoy it. We cover all kinds of topics. You know what a houndsman talk about when they don't have anything else to talk about? They talk about hounds. They talk about breeding. They talk about prices of hounds. It's it's all in here, folks. You're going to enjoy this. 
candid conversation among houndsmen. You know, when I was a little kid, I used to hang out in the uh, behind the stair staircase there and and listen to uh, my family, the adults in my family, discuss all types of things. And what that did is it helped me develop opinions and standards and principles in my life. Um, but it, that's what we want out of all these conversations. And you're going to hear things that you may not agree with. Hey, that's okay. We, we These conversations are to provoke thought and help all houndsmen reflect on how they feel about things, but also develop their own thoughts on things. And believe me, I ha- take no offense if you reach out to me and say, hey, I don't agree with this. We want to hear your perspective. We'll include it in the future show if you do that. So anyway, hey, enjoy this episode. We're going to get right to it. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you're finding your podcasts and listening to us ramble on. So guys, we got it going on right here. We need to get some dogs on it. It's time to dump the box. Southern Hound Honey Magazine is the most comprehensive magazine that represents your lifestyle as a houndsman. If you can hunt it with a hound, it is being covered in the pages of Southern Hound Honey Magazine. You also get an in-depth look at the men and women who are engaged in this lifestyle, living it every day to the fullest. From the Rocky Mountains to the Southern Swamps and across the ocean with articles about our international houndsmen and what they're chasing across the pond. Go to southernhoundhunting.com, get your subscription for $15 a year. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine, promoting the fair chase experience. Okay, I've got, I've got the recorder rolling. We're just going to add Lauren as we get into this thing. So if we're going to make this wild and crazy, we'll just make it wild, wild and crazy and, and add Lauren as she's ready. So got a message to her and ready to roll. So you guys ready? Yeah, let's do it. Right. I got a good question to ask you, Chris, right off the bat. Oh, <laughs> all right. All right. Any questions, Josh? Not right off hand, no. Man, I'll this, let this go and see how it goes. This is going to be a wild one. This is going to be a wild Great. one. So, all right. So, welcome to the Houndsman XP podcast. We've got a mosh pit of houndsmen on this thing today. I don't even know what to call it. Uh, we've got uh, Shorty. Shorty, how you doing? You on you on the air? Can we hear you? I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm here. All right. Well, we got Seth Hall. What's up, everybody? Seth Long Dog Hall is on the uh, podcast today. Nice. It's great. <laughs> it's great to to have you back on the air, Seth. It's been way too long, man. It's been like forever. Been a, a shadow creature, but I'm yeah. glad to be back. <laughs> yep. And we got Josh Big Show McKellis is on the air with us today. So, Josh, I'm I'm happy you're here, and and we're waiting on somebody too. So, Josh, how you doing? I'm doing great, Chris. We're just uh, working away, enjoying life. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like uh, we're waiting on a woman, so we're going to dial I'm in. Glad Lauren. you said it. <laughs> we're going to we're going to dial in Lauren right now. She's not on the air, so we can say whatever we want for now. 
She'll come back and get you, no doubt. I know. I don't even know how to do it. Oh, here it is. I'm being uh, I'm being a little bit technically challenged right now. You guys just carry the conversation, man. All right, I got a question. I'm going to deflect it over to Shorty. Okay, Shorty. Oh, here we go. So I recently got an offer on my two long dogs, and uh, it was a pretty generous offer as for the pair. What was your favorite name? And honestly, honestly, what would be the amount you would sell that dog for? Because I actually like what? internally battled with this for some time. What was my, what was my favorite? What I, you broke up there for just a second. What was your favorite dog's name, and what Ooh. amount of money would it have taken for you to honestly part with that dog? Like, say he's going to a great home and a good hunter, and blah blah blah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I've had probably two two favorite dogs. One of my current stud dog, uh, a dog by the name of Taylor. And, um, uh, he's, he's just retired to being a stud dog. And another dog was a, a dog named Curly. And, um, to be honest with you, uh, they're, they wouldn't be for sale. And uh, you might think I'm crazy when I say that, but no, definitely here's the not. thing you have to ask, <laughs> like, okay, would, would the money, would that money actually make a difference in your life? Okay. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and. <laughs> Probably not. Like, no matter what they're going to give you for the dog, it's probably not going to make a life-changing amount of money. Um, is it going to change things for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. But when you look back, and and I've learned this from talking to people who have sold dogs for what they thought was a lot of money at the time, and looking back on it, they they told me the exact same thing. Like, it it didn't change my life. I shouldn't have. I should have never sold the dog. And so yeah, so like if you like them that much, um, then then I'm I'm just not gonna sell them. Like yeah, and, and, and that's, it's, I'm feeling pretty sage because that's exactly how I felt. Like me and my wife were talking about it pretty seriously, and, and I was like, what am I gonna do if I sell my two experienced dogs? And like, is the joy they've brought to me worth? I mean, I, I'm pretty like not financially the beast, you know. But like even still, what I was offered. I would have burned through that on probably frivolous things. And then what am I going to do? You know, like I was just curious what everyone around here kind of thought, you know, financially, truly what they would pay to like what, what they thought they would sell their dogs for. And what I decided on is so totally ludicrous that I would never get that for him anyway. So I was like, yeah, I I was just kind of curious what everyone kind of thought about that. Don't be surprised, man. If you throw a number out there, be ready to take it because you might think (laughs) that, but at, an animal is worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. So if you throw a number out there, don't be surprised if somebody's like, yeah, I'll give you that. Ask Josh. What do you think, Josh? All of mine, since I started doing this, have always been for sale, and I'm not shy about saying it. Uh, how I get the joy out of the sport is getting those dogs to that point. And so I don't really have a huge emotional attachment or things like that, but I have turned down some, some really good offers on a dog like Con or Dollar. And uh, I can't think of a single dog I wouldn't put a number on. I would put a number on every coonhound that I've ever raised, bred, and trained. But like Shorty said, sometimes that number is ludicrous because at that time I don't want to sell them. 
but uh yeah i mean i mean i'll say we turned down twenty thousand for con when he was a two-year-old and at that point i didn't do it because of any emotional attachment or anything like that i did it because i think at that time it would have took cost me that much or more to replace him so it was more of a numbers thing than it was a you know attachment thing wow look at like wipeout wipeout z reportedly sold for around a hundred thousand dollars and and you gotta you gotta take into account too that josh how how much do you think that that is accurate or do you think that that's Uh, from the source i have that's 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 pretty accurate and you have to have to remember since then he's won almost a hundred thousand dollars and he's still a young dog yeah so it's a it's a it's a different it's a different game than you know it I, is. I don't yeah. know Seth is there any place that somebody could compete with long dogs and recoup their money like that Yeah so I don't know who's on video or who's not but every dollar sign you guys just threw out my jaw was just gaping wider and wider <laughs> <laughs> Like if if someone offered that kind of money for Pronto I would be like Bye, buddy. I love you. Like, <laughs> you're out of here. Yeah. Like, it's a different world. Like, for instance, I just hunted with two of the nicest beagles. They're one of the nicest packs of beagles on the planet. And a really, really good beagle that can go to a competition and win doesn't bring anywhere close to those prices from puppies to adult dogs or nothing. And with the coonhound world and the, the part of the sport that I'm involved in, these are huge money events, $6,500 entry fees, hunts that pay $80,000. I mean, there's, there's a lot of money involved at the very top tier of that. But that being said, you can still go get a really good coon dog for 1500 bucks. You got to look hard and they're usually a young dog. that's not finished or polished or one or anything like that. But there's, I mean, puppies still go really well-bred, well-bred puppies still go cheap, 300, $400. Uh, all the way up to I've seen puppies sell for twenty five hundred dollars. You know, at seven eight weeks old. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it just depends yeah. on what you're looking for. But uh, mm-hmm. Lauren, Lauren, are you here? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Oh, finally, okay. finally. Well, I, tr- well, I said wow at some point, like a little bit in there, after Seth's both uh, facial and body reaction to the hundred G's. <laughs> yeah, there. I'll tell you what. For a hundred, if somebody wants a hundred G's, I'll I'll sell everything I got and a tundra. I was gonna Floyd say tundra. for a hundred G's, you can have my house. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, not, the, there. I might be tempted that, to sell my dog. Ahead, Even though, like you, you guys are saying, you know, there's a price tag on everything, or there could be one. Like that's kind of where I split off and 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 take a different fork down the the coonhound row we know see and i think i think it all depends on what you're what you're doing with your dogs you know and what like uh like for me if i sell if i sell my dogs to somebody else then now they're competing like i'm making making money off of hunting my dogs for for the public so uh so somebody's got better dogs than me why would they hire me now they're going to go hire that guy because he's got better dogs than i do so Mm -hmm. i'd be a fool to sell somebody you know what i mean so what's your what's the objective what are you using your dogs for so like um you know are you raising dogs 
to sell for a profit, then yeah, you got to sell them. Um, are you competing? I think it all depends. And, and for me, I've talked this over with several guys doing the same in this, in the same industry that I'm in. We, we can't sell our good dogs to, to our competition. Yeah. Yeah. Then we go broke, you know? Well, and then they have that breeding too. It's exactly. not a dog that's changing everything. Then they have that, you know, the start of that line and that could change everything both for you and them. Right. And so that's, another thing if i do sell a dog it's it's not a it's a good dog it's it's probably going to be you know at least a good dog or 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 better in in whoever's packs buying it but they're spayed or neutered um Mm -hmm. and just Mm -hmm. just for that reason i will not sell a dog that's not spayed or neutered because i you know everything that we've worked for for years and years and years you just hand it over to your competition. Yeah, it sounds mm. like talking to Bob Barker here. Have your pet <laughs> spayed or neutered. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I think I think I think a lot of this all goes goes into what our overarching um, goal is today, and and right. you know you you see so many posts on social media about buying dogs and and puppies and started dogs and this and that but it for Josh and I you know it's it's one of those things that um we've got a different view on it because we've kind of lived in that competition competition sure. coonhound world and and you know if if you look at other than than the latest Kentucky Derby winner that that sold for originally for a thousand bucks which is crazy. What was his name? What's that horse's name? Medina. Medina Spirit. Dine. What was it? Medina Spirit. Yeah, Medina Spirit. You know, Bob Baffett took that dog or that horse and won the Kentucky Derby, and um, that's like every competition hunter's dream is to find that that young dog and then and then win the world hunt with it. Wouldn't you agree, Josh? Mm-hmm. I would agree, and that's. When I talked about Con earlier, you know, when I got that offer for him, he was just a two-year-old. He'd just come off his sophomore super stakes. And I really felt at that time, this is a young dog. I, I'm going to win that much and more. Now, that didn't pan mm-hmm. out for uh, for reasons that, you know, you can't see at that time. And, uh, you know, he kind of got cast stale and he got to where we couldn't, we couldn't win as easily with him. And so, looking back, do I wish I would have took the money? Uh, sometimes I do, but then also, you know, I've used him to train young dogs. Uh, he's, he still can win a cast here and there. He's not like he was, but you know, it's six of one half and does the other. I have sold one dog that I regret selling, but out of all the dogs I've sold, which usually my dogs are tree and coons alone and they're ready to be in a cat or ready to start being in a crowd when I sell them and they're in the three to $4,000 range. So I'm not selling huge numbers or dogs with huge price tags or anything but yeah i mean it's it's different like you said chris we just i've I've been around beagles and labs and uh pointers and and you know coyote dogs and things like that and they all just have a different price tag for their ability you know for what people are doing with them one one of the things that i've i've noticed is puppy prices in hounds 
you know, there's a lot of different camps. Well, there's a couple different camps. You know, you got the premium puppy price, and then you've got the the hound puppy price. You know, and you you alluded to it earlier, Josh. You said, you know, two to three to four hundred dollar range, and then you get into the the higher levels. You know, some of these pups you're selling for eight hundred dollars plus, and you know, it's it's what is it about? We'll just boil this down. What is it about coon hunters that that think that they can still pay two hundred dollars for a coonhound puppy? Because you can buy, you can't touch a labradoodle that has absolutely zero expectations other than to be a dog for less than a thousand bucks. I think the main thing is that, and we we've all experienced that. What's that labradoodle got to prove? Nothing. I mean, you you get that dog and you you scratch its head and you you teach it to poop outside and then that's it. Yeah, uh, just like that. These coonhounds, these coonhounds don't all make it, and so if you're looking at three out of ten puppies that will make a dog that will tree a coon by itself, you know some of these guys don't want to pay that. But the breeding. I can't speak for every breed, but the Walker breed has gotten to where the success rate for dogs that can be a serviceable, serviceable coon dog um, is a lot higher than it was 20 years ago. I mean, these puppies, six out of 10, seven out of 10 are making dogs that can treat a coon versus one out of 10, 20 years ago. And mm-hmm. we were, when we were breeding and selling back then too. So I think the prices have gone up because of that. Also the prices have gone up because of everything, but some of these guys, are still stuck in that, you know, I don't know if he's going to make it. I don't want to spend a bunch of money on him. You know, in my world, I got Pronto and Calypso for $250 a piece, and they grew up to be just hair assassins, you know, and, and so it's routine for for long dog pups to be between, you know, $150 to $350. That's, that's pretty easy to find. There, there's just not this, you know, competition-based um, lucrative market behind them. And so, mm-hmm. like, you know, that's been a, a big kind of culture and, and um, kind of eye-opening shift for me is that, like, there is some serious um, money behind uh, these competition dogs. And that's a whole different world than I ever even thought was possible, to be very honest. Like, that's, that's a, it's pretty incredible. I, I, was, um, I was surprised. And, and another thing, too, is, like, you know, I only have four runners and one of them's like really young right now. And if I sold my two older long dogs, I'd have nothing. So I'd be out of the sport completely. And, uh, you know, like a good consistent hair catching dog really is worth a lot in our world, you know, between two to five grand for a consistent, young, healthy, high powered, consistent dog catching hairs. And so, um, to me, he's worth way more to me here at the house catching hairs for me than he is, you know, lying in my pocketbooks. And and if I had more dogs, I probably would have a lot different mindset. But just currently with my small pack, I, I just got to make do with what I got. And uh, I really can't do it without those two right now, maybe in the future. But then they'll be old and not worth much. So they also play a pretty important role on the pet front. So they'll just kind of get pats on the head, I guess. But And speaking to the designer dogs, I have friends that paid $2,500 for a cross between a poodle and an Australian shepherd. 
And when I heard that, I was just like, what? Dude, I could go find one of those in the pound for like 50 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, we've got a lot We're invested. In it's pretty crazy. We're in the wrong business. We need to be raising designer dogs. Hey, I've, got, I've got the plan. I've got the plan. So my no. daughter, my daughter has a standard poodle, and I'm going to take that. Uh, I've got her talked into it. I think we're going to take that poodle and breed it to a to a, a blue tick, and we're going to start our own breed called the poo tick. <sighs> the poo tick. I don't know. I think you should go with blue. You got to go with bloodle. I was going to say somebody else. Bloodle. Somebody yeah. else said bloodle, yeah, but got to go with bloodle. You and think? Then, then make a small one, and you can have a miniature bloodle. <laughs> a bloodleito. <laughs> uh, Lauren, I think we just found your new stud dog for your uh, for Piper. So, uh, so the the poodle is a male. No, the poodle's a female. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Ridge could breed to her then. Yeah, we could. Yeah, me and you, we're gonna partner up. I mean, you know what? Right now, it's anything goes, I guess. So whatever. Yeah, you know, when Lauren was here at my house, we were talking about if if uh, Cedar came into heat and Pronto mated to her, they'd call those puppies Cedar Rapids, and we thought we were pretty clever. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were clever. I wish clever. I had a. I wish I had a drum. <laughs> no, I was thinking more like a gong. Like, yeah. <laughs> like a gong show. <laughs> Let's get back to hunting. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, she didn't come into heat while I was there. She was about a month late, and now I'm waiting for Piper to come in. And oh, things are always fun here at the Funny Farm. And we'll pick up that conversation right after this word from our sponsor. Houndsman XP is very proud of our partnership with the organization Freedom Hunters. Freedom Hunters is a nonprofit organization that takes America's veterans hunting from field to field, from the battlefield to a field near you when you volunteer your time to take America's warriors hunting with you and your hounds. It's easy. Go to houndsmanxp.com, click on the partnership tab, and it will take you to Freedom Hunters. You can go direct to their website to make donations at freedomhunters.org. Support America's heroes. Let's pay it back. Visit Freedom Hunters at freedomhunters.org or go to houndsmanxp.com and you can find them on our website from field to field. And now back to the show. Yeah, so you're trying to you're trying to find the right stud. And this this whole show's about, you know, it's kind of a mosh pit, but it's really about, you know, just all the things that houndsmen deal with every day is trying to figure out the next big cross. I, so I I got to ask you, Lauren, uh, you know, you got Piper, you're looking for a, for the right stud for her to raise a litter of puppies. I, why are you, why do you want to raise a litter of puppies out of Piper? So I, I, I knew I wanted to breed her probably at maybe around the end of last bear season. Um, because I knew I would, wasn't wanting to make the decision until she was, you know, around three and I wouldn't want to 
breed her like until she was four or five. She's three and a half now. Um, what I've seen out of her is just a style of hunting that I really, really, really like. Um, you know, she's competition coonhound bred. I've been talking with like a couple people on how her papers are stacked and, you know, some people are impressed that way, but bear hunting is my passion right now. So I'm, I'm struggling with what to do, but I want to breed her based on her style of hunting that I'm liking the success that I've had with her, um, base, like the, the traits that she's showing make me happy. And I think, I, I mean, I want to breed to better the breed. So yes, she has faults and yes, she has, you know, things that are good. Um, so whoever I pick, I want that dog to complement the faults that Piper has. You know, I will say I want to breed Piper because she's the best dog I have. And I want, you know, a chance to have like even a tidbit of that. I'm not, I, you know, I'll be selfish and say that I want to breed her because I, I need more of that. And there's really not a lot, like there's no other blood of her. Like no siblings are being bred or hunted or anything like that. Um, and there was only one litter out of her cross. Something's so, something's going on with your connection, but I think we got the the whole idea there. But so, I think are 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 you saying that that you want to you want to breed her because you like what you've got and you want to duplicate it? Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, yeah, we'll put it that way. Okay. Um, yeah, I want I want more of what she's what she's offering. Um, I don't want a pack of just pack dog. I want more stuff. Can you hear me okay? Yep. Go for it. Oh, okay. Um, she's a, she's my bear start dog. She's the dog that you can put in the woods in thin coon, and she will take a cold track, and she will find it, you know, in the dead of winter in a sleet storm, uh, you know, I've stuff. Seen it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, not in the winter, but in 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 the crazy cattails. Um, and the Rio Grande. Yeah, she'll pull stuff out of her hat, and it's 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 fun. Is she a competition coonhound? No. Uh, even though she comes from some really good stuff, she prefers the colder colder things, I guess. Um, confirmation ones. Her faults are. Her front feet kind of turn out a little bit, and she's got, you know, some third eyelid that's showing just a little too much for my liking. If you read the breed standard, that's where I see her faults. Oh, and her, she's got a really good bite, except there's like two teeth that like stick out a little bit more than other ones. So nothing huge. Yeah, yeah. Josh, when you're when you're thinking about making a cross, what are you looking at? We're always just looking to get better. Um, I found that you can't take a dog uh, that say say I've got a trailing type dog and it doesn't make enough trees and it, it's not quite as fast as what we want. And you know, we breed that to a dog that maybe is a little quicker to get treed, not quite as accurate, something like that. And you don't actually get, in my experience, you don't actually get the traits. To, to mesh together like you want to get that dog that, you know, one dog fills in the holes of the other. So 
what we try to do is we try to find balanced coon dogs that have the traits that we like and we pay really a lot of attention to their pedigree because i know you'll see these guys on the internet and all papers don't do this and papers don't do that but i can tell a lot about a train walker before it's ever born uh these dogs have certain genetic traits that are very prevalent in certain strains and so we just try to match those things up and we try to find balance and then we try to pick up the slack you know, as long as we can get the talent there, we feel like we can pick up the slack during training. You know, so just just give me the talent and the natural ability that I'm looking for and the natural tendencies like independence and, and motor and things like that. And then, you know, I try my best to, to take the rest, you know, as far as the training goes and, and fill those holes in myself. Well, in, in, in our situation, Josh, I think we're looking for some specific traits and I think that is kind of universal for it doesn't matter whether you're chasing bobcats in South Texas or lions in Northwest Montana or coons in the Midwest, you know, and competing for, for MPKC. I guess that's where, where I kind of want to take the conversation is you got to be a student. You got to be a student of, you know, you, you hit on it with, I know what that pup should be, should be by looking at the pedigree. And so now I'm going to make this cross, but you take somebody like Shorty Gorham, you know, Shorty, you're down there in South Texas. Let's get your spin on it and see what you have to say. Cause you've, you've bred some dogs and, and you've been in this game for a long time. Yeah, I think it's, uh, well, it's a lot more complicated than it should be. And I don't know, I don't know why, but you know, it's not like cooking or something where you say, Oh, this is a little too sweet. Let's throw a little salt in there and it balances it out. You know, it doesn't, doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to work like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think you just, just for me, just keep breeding toward the traits you like, you know, and, 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 um, uh, I've never, I've never taken a dog that was terrible at, at, at these certain aspects of the hunt, crossed it with a dog that was really good at, at those aspects in the hunt and got a, got a balance. Like it's, it's, it's a crapshoot. I think kind of for me, when you do that, like you either get superstar or complete dud, but, um, and I think that's the hard part about breeding is, is, um, a lot of times we think that we can just take, you know, let's just, let's make it real simple. We can, we can take a cold nosed dog and breed it to a hot nosed dog and get a medium nosed dog. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem to pan out that that way. (laughs) And I think that was, that was the thing, like, like you were saying earlier, about 20 years ago, the dogs you're breeding, you know, getting a smaller, uh, success rate than than you are now and i think we're figuring all that out like it's we we need to breed good dogs to good dogs to get good dogs and and to improve the breed and and uh uh, the the only way we can do that is breed the best dogs that are available to the best dogs that are available and and go from there i don't i don't think you know I, i just haven't had any success taking a dog down here and um and breeding mediocre to great and and 
and trying to get better. It's it's been really hunting hard for the best dog, the best stud dog that I could find to breed to my female that was good all the way across the board, you know, and, and that's the only time I've ever improved what I had in the puppies is, is, is really, you know, just, just, uh, trying to breed the best to the best in all reality. And, and, and I like to breed the best to the best if they're related just a little bit. Um, you can go a little bit too far with that, but, but I like, I like if we can stay in that same line a little bit. Uh, I've had really good luck doing that and I'm not an expert on lion breeding, but, uh, but we've, we've had good luck doing that. And it's just, uh, but I think that's the thing where people get confused in my opinion and and I've done it, you know, heck, we, I think all of us have, have come up with the hopes of, you know, taking a dog. And, but I think a lot of young people want to breed. They got a dog and they're like, well, this dog's, you know, lacking here, strong here. Um, but if I breed to a dog that's strong here, um, it's going to make up for that. And it, and it, it really doesn't. Um, all right. So, so interesting. I knew that was going to happen. Seth, go. That. We were all going to jump. I know. I just sent a me- I just sent a message to Josh, telling him to jump in because I know he's chomping at the bit. So, Seth, you yeah, go. You go, man. You know, t- talking what Shorty was saying, quite the opposite is what you see. It is like the mainstay of like current trends right now in my my life. Um, a lot of people cross a Saluki to a Greyhound to try to get that endurance and excellent feet, body durability of a Greyhound or of a Saluki, <clears throat> and then cross that to that super high powered speed of a Greyhound to try to find that middle ground between power and speed and endurance and good feet. And don't get me wrong, there are dogs that can kind of get that blend, but everybody. Let, let me, Seth, let me jump in here because I think, I, I don't think I got. I don't let me explain a little bit more before everybody jumps in before we start butchering you (laughs) no no well you can't take a below like you you still have to breed good dogs to good dogs is what I'm saying you know what I mean you can you can improve them by doing that but you can't breed a crappy dog to a good dog and get a medium I don't think it's basically what I'm saying (laughs) yeah but like so, what I meant is, anyway. I agreed with you, by the way, I do agree with you because like what I was going to say is like not a lot of, and myself included, don't have a degree in genetics, which is like crazy complicated. But when you breed a pure greyhound, which is like the epitome of ultimate power and speed, and you cross a Saluki, which is like the zenith of endurance and like excellent body durability for a high powered speed dog like that. You, you're never going to get that perfect 50 50. That's just not the way genetics works. You're going to have a it's going to swing. The pendulum is going to swing more or less to one direction. And so like I've seen half, mm-hmm. half Greyhound, half Salukis that are like, they look like a track dog. I mean, they're powerful, super muscular. And then I've seen them that look skinny and, and ropey like a, a Saluki. And so I'm not, I'm not, um, I guess I'm not saying it's a bad idea to make those halves. They're really fantastic running dogs. They really are. But to me, um, I think it's best to stick to like, a line that works best for my terrain and and shorty as a guy who's running in like really unique and inhospitable terrain like you kind of know what i'm talking about and we're like i have to fun mm-hmm. i have to factor in 
physical durability extremely high, almost higher than their ability to like consistently catch hairs because like a coursing dog is running across the ground at almost 50 and they're going to get thrashed by the ground if they're not tough bodies. And I, that's what I've learned the hard way. You know, I started off with some dogs that were a little bit too high powered and too fragile, and now I'm really paying the price for that. And so I'm having to change up everything I thought I was going to continue with. Life is just a long learning curve. And, uh, now I'm having to completely go back to the drawing board and kind of maybe reimagine how I want to continue my lineages forward. Um, mm-hmm. so it's been great. And, and I was kind of in agreement with you that like, I always was taught and kind of have seen firsthand, um, best to best and best is a really ephemeral or like fluid, um, variability that changes where you're hunting, what style right. you're doing, like, and, and that's something I've like continued to really enjoy about this lifestyle is like how much information there is to learn. I mean, it's so much more in depth and so much more knowledge per square inch in a houndsman's brain than I have always felt than almost any other kind of sportsman, just because there's so much to it. And that's kind of what I love so much about it. There's a never ending learning curve. Like my buddy's 80 and he tells me he's still learning new stuff all the time. He's been running for 70 years, you know? So mm-hmm. anyway, that's kind of a tangent, but yeah. there was a lot I wanted to say. <laughs> the, well, I think, I think also we got to take into consideration are you know are you just hunting in your backyard because if i'm just hunting in my backyard the the same kind of traits that i'm looking for to aren't going to work in las cruces new mexico for you know whatever i'm trying to do there so exactly josh on you what do you think i i really do agree with shorty the best of best mentality is always your always your best way to go and this i know with tree and walkers and some of the other coonhound breeds there was a huge you gotta, you gotta stop talking out. about walkers we try not to talk about those on this podcast as much <laughs> I, as I did say other breeds as well oh, okay but right. uh they're, 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 trish you know just as well as i do you know you've heard the term brood female yes sir uh, everybody that's been houndsman have heard the term brood female and all that a brood female is is something that somebody didn't spay that they think they might get some worth mm-hmm. out of pups, you know, and that's all yep. it is. And some of the best breeders now have gotten away from that a lot in the last six or seven years. And the results are there. I mean, you look at yep. Jed Finley and Silas Trader, for instance, he only bred select females. He's only got, I think I'd have to check the numbers, but he's got maybe 40 pups born. And this was one of the top stud dogs, uh, in the, of the two thousands at one time, as far as as being hot and people wanting to breed to him and stuff. And Jed continually, continually said no. And now his pup earnings are over $4,000 per pup, which is crazy in PKC. I mean, there, he had a real consistent breeding program. He stuck with it and the results showed, and he's not the only one. There's all kinds of people that have only bred to select females and, and the results as far as your putt percentage that made something that could compete and win were, were way higher than they were, you know, 20 years ago, 10, even 10 years ago. But when you're looking at genetics, you know, genetics are hardwired with DNA and, and, you know, the whole nine yards. So if you take two females, okay, we'll just boil this down. Take two females out of the same litter. They have the same genetic makeup. One is hunted. 
and promoted and whether it's on bobcats in south texas or pkc or if it's a long dog chasing rabbits those those litter mates should have the same genetic makeup so why do we think that best of the best just because one has been hunted and one hasn't or one has has come to the top and one hasn't why do we why do we always gravitate towards that better performance based because that's the only way that's really the only way that we can tell i mean that's we there can't you. we can't line up genetic markers uh we can't hire a geneticist we can't do things like that so the only surefire way to make sure is to breed the best female to the best male with the traits that you want and that you need uh, because frankly we're not qualified to make that decision otherwise couldn't agree and- more couldn't agree more. We already know that a certain percentage of a litter, whatever it happens to be, might not turn out. So mm-hmm. why? Why? They've got the same genetic makeup. They hey, should me all and my turn brother out. Are, me and my brother are out of the quote unquote same litter. And I'm like, look like me. And he's like a ginger. All right. So <laughs> you never know my, what's going to happen with those genetics. <laughs> same mom, same dad. And like, he's a, like, he looks like if like a, a cheetah and a polar bear had a baby together and then dyed it red. You know what I mean? He's like a red freckly beast. <laughs> and I'm glad you said that, Seth, because I was just going to say the same thing. Like we, you know, how many people do we know that, that are from a family? One of them's great. And the other ones are dirt bags. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's the same thing in a family, <laughs> which would you, which would you rather your daughter which would you rather your daughter marry one of the dirt bags or the or the best guy of the family right? yeah but okay so i'm a i'm a dad of two daughters so and both one's married and one's marrying age you know i look at the whole family i'm sitting there i'm looking right. at it, i'm thinking man did she get lucky with this one guy or you know is this a is this a solid genetic makeup as a family as a whole does she come from a strong family you know, moral compass, a whole nine yards. And, that is and, such a dad answer. <laughs> oh, heck yeah, it is. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then, but even then, when you got a really good family, when all of them are really good family, you still want the best one. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, sir. Can't, can't disagree go. with that. Shorty is just on a roll with inarguable points. Yeah. <laughs> he usually is. Today. <laughs> he usually is. Uh, sideways here, uh, prey drive. When I you talked about why I want to breed Piper. Okay. So sorry to go back to that, but you I are like circle back, you, girl. I'm circling back. We'll circle back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, circling back now. Uh, actually, uh, her prey drive um, is is something that I just haven't seen matched yet even in like early on even with the other two pups that i have here um their prey drive is is right around what she had but they just didn't start as early um and you could tell seth when when they were out in the cattails i think piper would work just a little bit harder I agree. I mean, we weren't putting up nearly the the excitement or numbers when we weren't when she wasn't there. 
And uh, I thought maybe it had to do with the experience because I'm not I'm not super familiar with your three dogs. But as time went on, I just realized without her, our nights were not as awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a big thing um, that I look for. And I don't know necessarily how to determine that, you know, this is going to be the first litter that hopefully I make. Well, I don't physically make it, but, you know, (laughs) Uh, so, you know, sure, this dog can be successful. It can go, you know, tree bears and lions and whatever else it's going to be, or it could be a good, you know, solid reproducing coon dog from, you know, the reproducer list and coonhound bloodlines. I don't know what it's going to be. Um, but when you're looking at an adult dog and you've maybe only been able to hunt with it once or twice, how do you figure out where their prey drive is or was and all of that josh yeah josh mckellis what do you think i don't breed to anything that i haven't hunted with a lot and i don't breed a female that i haven't hunted with a lot because because you you can see a dog for two hours and it looks like this or it looks like that but i promise you if you spend two weeks with them and you put them under a lot of pressure it's a different deal now i'm i'm very picky because we don't you know, we don't want to raise a bunch of pups. We just want to raise the right pups. But there you go. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't right. read to anything that I've only seen go a couple times. I don't. What do you think, yeah. Shorty? I I agree. I agree. And that's you. And you could go one day, and and uh, that could be the best day that dog's ever had. You know, and and we've all seen it. We we've, we've seen you have a dog will have a great day one day, and and not so great the next day. So yeah, you got to spend time and, and, Consistency. and know what those dogs are in and out. Absolutely. In the worst days, you know, you want to know, I think Josh would agree what that dog's going to do in the worst conditions possible. And then and back to, back to the breeding deal, like, like uh, you were talking about breeding the males, your best, your best, the hardest thing about it, males are easy because you can breed them and walk away, but your best females are your best dogs you know and and so to lay that jip up and and breeder is hard for a lot of people i've i've had the same problem where um you think god i i i need to breed this chip but i, I just want to hunt her another season you know i need her and and da 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 but Story you really you you need to be breeding that female because she's the, she's what's going to make you uh, more, more good ones. You know, that, that goes back to that old saying and a male dog will make you famous. A female, a good female will keep you famous. Right. You know, and, and that good producing female, she gives and she gives and she gives. And so many times we put so much emphasis on the stud dog when, Mm -hmm. when, when everything's going good, it all goes to the stud dog, you know, and when everything yep. goes goes bad, it goes to the stud dog, and we <clears> overlook <throat> the contributions that that that, that bitch that fem you know that female whelping pups gives you in your breeding program, and some of the greatest overlooked dogs in the hound world have been f- the female hound. I mean, that's just well, what it is. Well, what do you see on the top of the papers? It's always you know, the male dog's on top. The stud dog's always there first. And when you're reading the papers, that's that to 
that's what sticks out first because they're on the top of the list for every crop. Damn coonhound patriarchy. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, and you think a female may be able to give you, I don't know, what, 100 pups or whatever they can give you, and, and male can give you thousands. Yeah. You know, so you hear about them over and over and over and over again. So, right. Yeah, I got That's a question. Go, okay. Seth. All right, so, here's the thing. I hear that. this often, I and I want to. I want to hear some <laughs> pro opinion on this. Whoever wants to jump in on this can, but I've heard this many times. Everyone says that I've talked to that the female matters the most to get the best puppies consistently. So if you take a really, really, really good jip, who's just consistently slaying the toughest hairs, has good feet, and you just put a mediocre male over her, you're going to have way better pups than if you took a absolute stud of a beast male and put him over a mediocre female those puppies are going to be generally consistently worse that is what i've heard i have no data or experience to back that up who here can either verify or has their own opinion on that because i've heard that so many times that the female matters more i think dogs are reproducers or they're not um Mm -hmm. it it, and, and it's repetition that that determines that and the work that people put into the puppies afterwards. Perfect. That's what yeah. I was thinking. Josh, what do you think? I don't think. I think it's 50-50. I really do. I mean, you take a mediocre female to a mediocre male, uh, you get mediocre pups and vice versa. I mean, some females, I will say that some females are, are lacking in certain areas, but they still throw that in their pups. But it's the same way with males, too. I mean, I've seen... Uh, really good coon dogs, male coon dogs bred to really good females and the pups, you know, not be what you thought they were too. So, I mean, it is a bit of a crapshoot, but I still think it's 50-50. And you take these breeders, and I was going to chime in there before Seth interrupted me, but anyway, (laughs) uh, we were talking about breeding females, and I just wanted to give an example of how I got Con. Uh, I was hunting Con's dad, who's retired now and running loose at the house but uh jed had a female that he'd gotten the final four of the pkc world hunt uh she had already thrown some really good coon dogs bred to trader and they even bred her to nailer semen and this was a well-known reproducing female and he called me wanting to breed her to duds and at that time duds had never been in a cast had never won a hunt had never done nothing and he could have took that female to any big name stud dog and sold $1,500 pups as by and booked them as soon as she was bred. But he chose to come down to my house and breed squeaky to, to duds. And that's how we got the, the litter that Con had, which was a fantastic litter. So these guys with these good females also have to be, you know, really humble in how they breed them and, and what they breed them to. And it's mm-hmm. a lot bigger risk, just like Shorty was saying to take that good female and get a get a litter of pups out of something like that even if you think it's the right thing to do and and most of these guys won't do that and i can't blame them either because it's hard to turn down ten thousand dollars for the puppies too you know i was told that um and by someone david heiss who i've had on the show he's told me multiple times kind of echoing what lauren had said that you can take long dogs of just meh or just okay good breeding and if you take care of them exercise them keep them sound and healthy and put them on lots of hairs 
they're going to be way better than if you had top-notch breeding that is just in a kennel and doesn't get out and exercise, and then you just put a rabbit in front of them once a week and see how they do. I mean, I totally agree with uh, that sentiment that Lauren said and with David that, that to me, you can kind of make up for, at least in my world, you can make up for, sometimes you can make up for some genetic disadvantages with a lot of uh, practice and physical training. You know, I'll tell so, you what. I mean, that's one of the reasons. That's one of the reasons our pups are priced so high. Because guy takes a two hundred and fifty dollar pup, it's easy to waste in a kennel. But you spend a couple right. grand on one, you kind of you want to put in the effort. There you go. That's you smart. T- actually. You take yeah. you take well, somebody. Like, then, go ahead, go ahead, Shorty. I'm gonna weigh exactly, in right after you're, you're done. Exactly right, Josh. You're just getting. If you price them high enough, you're getting guys that are going to be serious at what they're doing. Yes, and they're going to take it serious, and they're going to hunt it hard because they have to financially gain that back. So, yeah, absolutely. I've seen the same yeah, thing in the bull invested. business, um, selling semen on, on bucking bulls. Guys were selling years, you know, when it first started, they priced it high, and that was the reason. They were like, we don't want backyard people. We want people that are going to take it serious and make a make a better animal. I've seen I've seen hard hunters take whatever and make phenomenal yeah. dogs out of them far more than I've seen people who spend money on that pup that don't want to hunt. It doesn't matter what you've got in your kennel if you don't get it out. Exactly. It's it's not going to be a dog. It just it just isn't exactly. going to it's not going to pan out. You take somebody like Calvin Redhouse. Calvin has taken dogs that he could find and he's catching game with them, and mm-hmm. I've I've hunted with his pack, and they're all hardworking dogs. But he's out there every day, and and we yep. can we can find coon hunters that do the same thing, and and it's just it's so much of it is a crapshoot. When you raise a litter of puppies, it's you want to make sure every one of those pups goes to a hard hunter. If you want if you want to keep your breeding program famous you've got to make sure that those pups go to the right spots not just the guy that pulls in your driveway with a check absolutely Mm -hmm. absolutely that's one thing i've learned is a lot of discretion oh go ahead shorty i had a hard time hearing you brother (laughs) that was me but yeah there's 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 not very many good pup guys around they're really not it's hard to get these dogs placed into the hands of a good hunter Mm-hmm. yeah why is that i believe that. Does, does everybody just want i do you think it's a thing where everybody just wants to say i want a dog off trader i want a dog off big country or i want a dog and then they don't do anything with them what is that josh there, there's some of that but all of us sitting around here know how hard it is to start a hound of any kind or or a chase dog or anything i mean it's not easy it's hard work and life happens to some of these guys, you know, some of these guys got, got big ears and big eyes and they really want to do this and they plan on doing it when they get the pup. And then when the work comes, it's just not, not, they're not able to do it. I mean, it's, it's not very many people actually have a program to start a coon dog. They really don't. You know, I mean, I, go I, ahead, see it all, I see it all over Facebook, you know, big name stud dog puppy, you know, eight months old, nine months old. Only been on, on in the woods twice. Only been out three times. You know, not yep. barking on track. Not this. Not that. Like, did you give it a chance? And now you just want to like turn it over and flip it? <laughs> yeah. You know, I and I, you know, Chris, you probably, I, you guys probably know what I'm talking about. You bet. And I look at it and I shake my head. I'm like, come on, you know, like 
Yeah, seven seven month old pup up yeah. for up for discussion on Facebook, you know, and it's it's one of those deals it's like seven months old, dude, you haven't even you probably haven't spent enough time with the dog to even understand what you've got standing yeah. there. And, and especially looking at the history of, you know, certain reproducers and when dogs are typically starting for that line um, and what people are doing with those dogs, like, I think you need to give it a little more of a shot. But I think people's eyes got big and, you know, they're like, oh, well, I've got, you know, 700 500 $800, whatever it is. Yeah. Just it, to you, Lauren, you just said something. I want to. I want to take this conversation in a in a new kind of new direction, but not really. But uh, and Segway. <laughs> uh, and now a quick word from our sponsor. Dakota Two Eight Three offers you unparalleled protection for your hounds. We're talking about military grade kennel crates. Uh, I got got one of these two door kennel crates here at the house. It is super heavy duty. It's got slap latches on it that are stainless steel, easily fits in the back of an SUV, or if you're traveling with a camper shell, it's a great way to keep your dog protected while you are traveling. You just got to check out their Dash Series. This is a watering system, and I've used a lot of these portable waterers over the years, but this system is all integrated into one unit, and the way it's designed out of high-impact plastic the water stays in the tank when you're not using it because you can put a plug in it. Check them out. Uh, the 3.5 is also compact enough that I can store it behind the seat of my pickup truck while I'm out hunting when it's super cold. I've had exterior tanks before, and as soon as I go to cold climates, then I've got to figure out how I'm going to get water to my hounds, and the dash takes care of that. So check out Dakota 283 at dakota283.com and at checkout enter the code hxp10 and get 10 percent off of your order you said, when, when do you you know when do you start or when do you expect this line to to start like you know um seven months old eight months old whatever like josh probably got more experience than any of us raising puppies like when when do you expect a, a young dog to start doing things? Um, the the term start is so wide. Sure. I mean, with my pups, I start them hunting at night super early. I'm talking three and a half, four months old. I want them used to the dog box. I want them used to being hauled. I want them used to all those things. And at that stage, everything's really fun. You don't correct them for anything. You let them do whatever they want. They're just out there, you know, having fun. And they run exactly how I feel. Yeah, until they get to that point. And then by six and a half, seven months old, I want them going hunting with the old dog. I want them doing their best to keep up. I want them, you know, really, really trying to do something. And I will continue from there. And I want them treeing their own coons by a year old. That's kind of my standard as far as what I look for in a pup. And that's not to say that these dogs that start late are bad or anything like that. But I, I, I right. go through one pup, I get them ready, I get them sold, and I go on to the next one. So I don't want to, you know, just quite mess around with one pup until he's 18 months <laughs> old and treating his own coon or two years old and treating his own I coon. Agree. And there's nothing wrong with that either. But 
I know what right. I'm looking for. And there's certain things that a buck can do, you know, say they're not tree and coons, but they're real wild and they've got this big motor and they've got this mouth and they're independent, but they're not quite tree and coons at a year old. That's fine. I mean, I there can you go. Right. You're looking but, uh, for those glimpses. They have to go hunt. Yeah. You've got, you've got, yeah. A houndsman looks for those potential brief glimpses of greatness and and you recognize that that hey this is something that i can work with you know i can see that potential in that dog you know take something as simple as is riding in a dog box you know if he's ridden in a dog box 10 times and he's been taught that when the door opens you don't have to bust out of there i want to ask you out of there if he's ridden in there 10 times and he's still wanting to to mob you at the door then that ought to send some send some light you know make some yeah. light bulbs go off and dog's- if a guy started enough pups he can tell he can tell yeah. what traits are there and what isn't you know for us it's motor yeah laziness is the one thing i absolutely can't have i mean it's right and mm. you can you can see it in those pups at three months old i can you tell the be- pup's going to be lazy when it's three months old you see the potential mm. You see wow. the potential, and you know that it's there, and and now I can I can work with this. So yep. inversely, what's something you don't tolerate ever? Because one thing I will not tolerate is a quitter. You know, like catching a hare is super hard, and you have to grind after him for at least two and a half minutes at full blast. If you're quitting because it's too hard, you're out of here. Luckily, I've never mm-hmm. really seen that, but I, I cannot tolerate a quitter. No way. Yeah, they got to have uh, the big the big no go is motor. They have to want to go all the time, every time, or they're never they're never gonna be what I want ever. Under no circumstances. Mm-hmm. I I agree, and that's and I'm so like I raised my puppies loose. Um, very fortunate to have the ability to raise them loose, and I and I'm with you. Like I start calling right around there, six seven month old. Um, yeah. uh, if, if, if I go out there in the evening time and all the pups are up running rabbits and there's one down there laying in the kennels and that happens day in and day out, that, that pup is cold from the, the program, you know, and, um, yep. and that, that's, I, I want a dog that wants to go, uh, wants to catch game and yeah, quitter. I, I don't, I don't deal with that very good, but, um, uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot of things I I think, and I that's going to be a whole new episode. I think on this podcast <laughs> is the things it, that we because we can delve off into that. No real kidding. Far, but even if they're doing but, something uh, wrong, you know, even if they're doing something wrong, you know, an yep. old timer told me I worked construction one time. He said, "Do something even if it's wrong." You know, yep. and hey, I, tell, I tell my guys that exact same thing all the time. Get your hands on something, even if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, I, it's just, it's just one of those things that you look at that. It's channeling that energy. It's being a coach. It's being a leader. It's being, you know, so many things, but just because they're not doing the exact thing that you want them to do at the time doesn't mean that, that you need to, to throw now, if you've tried to teach them not to do that 20 times yeah. and you're still at <laughs> right. square one, then you've got an intelligence problem. You don't have a, you know, you don't have a right. prey driving problem. You've got an intelligence problem. So, yeah. Right. Right. You're, you're talking about doing something wrong. I mean, heck, this little puppy I've got, 
I was even happy to to see her go sniff out in the field for that one little tiny piece of dried cow manure that I threw out there. (laughs) One little piece of that. I mean, once she got it and was running with it and trying to eat it, then I told her no. (laughs) Oh, you set her up for failure. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, and if it's a puppy, it doesn't matter. That's what I learned from from some old time lion hunters. Even if they go, you know, you go hunting and a puppy, you lose the puppy, and then the puppy's got to come trail you up. Even if they're trailing you up, they're learning how to use their nose or learning how to use their senses. And so, yeah, exactly. young dogs shoot. If they're trailing something, they're 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 learning something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I when so I go out with yeah. my youngsters, they're just cruising along with me. And they're just mostly just rolling in cow poop, eating antelope poop, but they're just having a good time and they're watching. And when we finally get a hair up bolting out of the grass, they're like, oh, wow, like that's what it, that's why we're here, you know, because they don't they don't pick up on the body language of the adults that they're out hunting hard until that little gray flash comes bursting out. And then they all get it. You know, that's, I love watching puppies when that clicks on when they're like, oh, we're chasing that little thing. <laughs> there you it's go. Awesome. That's that's the target of the day. Yep. Well, Are hey, you I, Seth, seeing the same? Uh, go ahead. No, you got a question here. I'm gonna wrap this up. Uh, no. Well, I'm not gonna wrap it up, but I want to kind of move it into another direction as soon as you're done there, Shorty. I was just wondering if Seth, so Josh, Josh saw it around that six month, seven month age when he wanted to see puppies doing things, uh, or one, two. Are you seeing the same thing in 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 your type of dogs? Yeah, so to to me, um, well, hmm, it's a it's a hard answer, but I'm gonna go back to like what Josh was saying about how it's it's stages. But as far as as breed plays a big role in it, a greyhound is maturing much quicker than a saluki and should be slaying tough hares by about eh, 13 months to 15 months. But I wouldn't expect a saluki to be really catching and being a really effective leader of my coursing pack until he's about 16 months old but they have a lot Mm -hmm. longer service life than a greyhound does so i'm not even expecting them to contribute at all to a course until they're about 11 months old um maybe my my saluki pup strider really turned on at around 11 months and he's still improving at, at 15 months right now he'll be entering his prime next season but yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not expecting any greatness out of a coursing hound pup except for hard try and a lot of encouragement that they want to hunt. I mean, they should be searching for hares and have it all figured out by the time they're eight months old, no matter what breed they are. And they should be, when they hit the grass, they should be sniffing and watching for hares. That's I'm expecting by seven months. And so far that's been the case for all my hounds, luckily. Cool. All right. So, so I'm I'm curious if a person is wanting to find either a side hound or a sin hound there you see this question on the internet all the time you know who has pups so you you've got a you've got a a newcomer looking for his start what advice would you give a newcomer to finding a pup that's going to fit their needs. And Seth, we'll start with you with a long dog situation. It's all about where you're hunting. So that terrain is everything for a coursing hound. 
And if I, I get this often, like when new, new people message me asking how to get started, uh, I, when I was, it took me months to find Mr. Bohannon to get my two dogs. And, uh, I would say first thing you need to do is go to the Houndsman XP podcast group <laughs> and get, yeah. get your name out there. <laughs> They'll point you, help point you in the right direction. But for me, it's it's all about where you're hunting. And I would go from there. You need good feet. If you're running in the desert, you need tougher feet, less power. And uh, if you're running on more manicured areas like the West Texas agricultural fields, you can have a lot more power. And so uh, it, it really is for a, for a ideal begin for a beginner i say look at your ground and find people that have been there and hunted in your terrain jump in their dog buggy with them and watch them don't even think about getting a dog until you have at least a couple months of hunting with experienced guys under your belt and then make a decision from there but it really is with the coursing hound all about their body for the terrain that you're hunting in and that's first obviously you're looking for good genetics in any any hound hunting area so that's kind of off the table but body for your terrain is the most important thing you can look for in a coursing hound for a beginner. Lauren, what do you say? So we're talking about like someone who actually wants a puppy, not just to get started in the sport. Cause we've covered this before, like get, you know, get a started hound, let that hound teach you. We're going to getting a puppy for the first time. Yep. Oh, okay. did I miss the bullet completely? <laughs> yeah, no, you that's what you're looking for in the, you know, that breeding and, and all that personally. So I've seen and, and know people that will just get a puppy from anyone without knowing or meeting or hunting with the sire or dam, just because that puppy's in their price range. It's 150, 200, 250 bucks. I cringe at that. I honestly do. Um, after doing this for a little while and it's not a long while. It's I've only been doing this a little while. Um, I think you need to ask a lot of questions and you need to ask the people that you know what questions to ask. You know, why mm. did you bring two dogs together? What did you like about this one and that one? What are the faults of this one and that one? Have they had litters before? What are those litters doing? Um, and, you know, why are you asking this price? Like, personally, I think you're going to get what you pay for most of the time. I mean, you know, there's always that chance that there's going to be duds in there. But I I cringe at people who just pick up a puppy and not knowing anything, being like, oh, well, you know, I've always wanted a blue tick in the kennel, so this is a blue tick. Or, you know, I've been looking for, you know, a leopard hound or whatever it is. Um. Does that answer anything? No, not really, but no. Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, it does. It does. So, you know, you're taking it, taking it to that level of, uh, you know, asking those questions, you know, you ask some, you ask some pretty tough questions. And I think the main thing you said there was knowing the right questions to ask, you know, a lot of times it's like, that's a blue tick. That's a blue tick. That's a walker. That's a walker. I want a walker. So, you know, we don't okay. think about those questions, the right questions to ask. And that, that's a whole different level of, um, that's like being a professional shopper right there. Really? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, 
you know, when you're looking for a stud, you, you kind of realize all the questions you need to ask. See, that's why you're so valuable, Lauren, because if I walk in a store, I've already done my research. I know exactly what I'm going to be. I'm going to be there for five minutes. I'm going to walk in and buy it, and I'm walking out. You know, Absolutely. My, my, wife, second that. <laughs> my wife walks in the store, and she knows what she wants, but, but she's like, oh, there might be a good deal over here. Oh, look at this over here. Oh my goodness. You know, I don't know the right questions to ask. She will she will take me on a complete tour. So Shorty, what do you say? Well, yeah, I I think good information so far. Uh I would say uh for a young person getting into hounds, I would get with somebody that hunts in your area that's very successful. The most successful person in your area. Get with them try to befriend them uh just go along for the ride just like Seth was saying don't expect to take your dogs don't expect to nothing go just go get to know them what they're doing um if you like what you you see remember they're successful for a reason so the way they're hunting the dogs they're hunting they're hunting them for a reason check all that out and then um hopefully you know if they're having a litter, maybe you can get on, get, get in that way and, and, and get you a puppy, but, but don't expect, to to, uh, to just get a puppy just because you call somebody that hunts in that area. Most of your real successful guys, at least in, in my world, um, uh, that raise puppies, they don't just let them go anywhere they're real specific about where they go and if they don't know you if they don't think you got what it takes you haven't showed that that you have the ambition to take that dog and and make something and you want to be a uh you know fantastic hunter they're not going to give you the time of day or a puppy there you go i agree uh, with that totally agree you know looking like though to everybody else if i because i'm going to be picky if i do have a litter because it might be the only litter she has you know if she even makes it to the winner knock on wood um but i don't think there's anything wrong with being picky i just don't want people to be mad at me (laughs) that's a quick way to burn bridges so like just get ready for that when you deny someone a dog (laughs) oh yeah it's okay to burn bridges i think i I think you Americans have a big problem in 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 thinking that we need to not burn bridges and what the, you know what I mean like it whatever like if you don't think that person's going to take that dog to to the level that you want it to sorry if it and if it cost you a friendship well they probably weren't a very good friend anyway there you go mm-hmm. well I said no to one person so <laughs> she said no to me what a jerk <laughs> <laughs> Josh. What do you think, buddy? Um, Seth and Lauren and yourself and Shorty kind of took the words out of my mouth, but I will give one little piece of puppy buying advice. Uh, Do not, under any circumstances, get on Facebook and ask which puppy to buy and then listen to the people that reply. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Is that why you just canceled your your, uh, social media accounts? Yeah, I did most of them, and I'll I'll get them back, uh, which I do. I'll I'll glance at them maybe once a week or so, but I'll get them back in the fall whenever we get to hunting harder and work slowing down and stuff. But yeah, these you don't know who you're talking to. 
Uh, do what Shorty mm-hmm. said. Find somebody who knows dogs, that has dogs that you want to emulate, and do what they do. I don't care if I'm taking up competitive racquetball. I'm going to find the best competitive racquetball player and try to do what he does. That's right. I mean, that's, that's really real. all you can do. Yeah, you know, I, I, so, I got some good advice for a beginner. If you're buying a, a an older dog, like an 18-month-old dog, this is what Mr. Bohannon told me when I first started. He He pointed his finger at me. And he said, Seth, don't you ever buy a dog that someone says can catch a jackrabbit unless you go out there and you see that dog catch a jackrabbit. So if someone's like, hey, I got this dog for sale and he's a total badass. Look at all these pictures of him running and all this and that. Go out there with that person and watch that dog perform before you buy it. Because a lot of people may be trying to get rid of some coals. Not always, but it can happen. But, to a but, beginner, I would but say the- beginners are easy prey. Absolutely, but just because that dog can catch a jackrabbit or he can catch a bobcat or he can catch a raccoon, it may not do it the way you want it to do it. You know, so you need to you need to see that that dog fits the style of hunting that you have, and you want to you want to make sure that that happens. But you know, I want to talk about the value of being a finding that mentor. You know, finding that person. You know, Shorty, you touched on it. You said, don't worry about taking your dogs. Don't worry about, you know, be a student for a while and find out if you're a newcomer, find out what you really want. You know, find that most successful person like Josh said about, you know, if you're going to play racquetball, you're going to find the best racquetball player you can find. If you're going to play golf, you're not going to take advice from me just because I like to go play golf a lot. You know, you're going to take advice from accomplished golfers and and well, same same way goes with this and and randy smith said this back way back about being a a good student you know find that person mm-hmm. in your community that that will allow you to accompany them and be a student and yep. learn and and find out what a good dog really is because that's right Everybody describes dogs in a different way. You know, I remember John Wick at one time he had he had came up with this idea about uh evaluating dogs. You remember this, Josh? I kind of do, yeah. He had come up with a he 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 put it out there in a Coonhound Bloodlines uh article about an evaluation system for hounds. And um it was a great idea awesome idea but the problem is that every person describes things in a different way you take just something as simple as i have a started dog what does a started dog mean you know does that mean that that dog is loading in a dog box does that mean that dog is broke to lead does that mean the dog is what does that mean you know the, the terms are so broad that that we we don't so we don't re- fully understand what all those terms mean. What's a cold nose mean? A cold nose in southeast Indiana is a whole lot different than a cold nose in South Texas. I can tell you that. So mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. you've got to find, if if I'm from southeast Indiana and I want to bang up coon dog, then I need to be finding people that that I think have bang up coon dogs and look around and find what I want, not bringing my dog with me, not being the guy, being the listener, being the student and finding out what that really means. Humble, helpful, well, hardworking, the three H's. And, 
and here, absolutely, 100%. Here's the other thing. If, if one of these guys allows you to come with them, one of these guys in your community that's, that's the, the man, allows you to come with him, bringing your own dogs is only going to be a distraction. Because what you want to be doing is you want to be focusing on what this guy is doing, what his dogs are doing, not focusing on your dogs. Being You're there student. to learn. Yep. Being a student, exactly. And and so just leave your dogs in the kennel. I know it's hard to go when you don't have one of your dogs, but, but if you have that opportunity to go with that guy that's, that's the man in your area or woman, uh, notice how I'm being politically correct. Uh, just God, the patriarchy the again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, but it, it, it's a great opportunity and, and, and just, just, just go and just, and just watch that, watch them, mm-hmm. what they do and how they do it. And, and you'll learn more than you will having your dogs there. I promise. Well, you get distracted when your dog's in there. You're worried about them looking dumb. You're Absolutely. worried about you looking Absolutely. dumb. You're, you're worried about them bumping some off game, you, you know, whatever. You just get distracted. I think Josh and I have probably, um, I know Josh has judged a lot of casts where he didn't have a dog involved in it. And this is speaking more for the, the coon hunter side of it. But I remember, I remember a cast that, that I was a spectator on and I had a specific job in this cast. It was to call back scores and stuff for the play by play. And I sat there and I watched every dog in that whole cast and I got an idea, and and I learned something from every dog in that cast. I didn't have a dog there. It was just I was a spectator, and I learned mm-hmm. something from those dogs. Have you ever had an experience like that, Josh? I've had a lot of experiences like that. And then you look at, like, my YouTube channel where I get to hunt with multiple world champions and national champions and truck hunt winners and you know, my brother's dog won super stakes and stuff like that. And it is hard because we all got a competitive side. When when halftime Ruby comes over to the house, who's the winningest coon dog of all time, I really want to line Con up right next to her and see how he, you know, performs next to a dog like that, a dog <laughs> of that caliber. Yeah. I mean, I really do. We all do. But you were talking about being a student, and even as a young hunter, that's very important, but that should never go away. You know, when exactly. I'm when I'm judge when I'm judging a pro classic and I've got handlers I've got four handlers that I'm judging and their dogs have won, you know, close to a million dollars between the four of them or something crazy like that, or the handlers have won that much. Not only do I have to be firm and judge and things like that, but I also I pay attention to how they handle their dog, uh, what they're looking for in a dog. I try to pick their brain when I can when I'm around them and thankfully I've got a lot of friends like that, so yeah, that student part should never go away. We should always be learning. We should always be humble, too. I've yeah. had the opportunity to, to spectate a bunch of casts, and when you don't have a dog in there, you pay so much more attention to how things are. Like, at, um, like I get so much tunnel vision on my dog that I'm really thinking about the other dogs and what's happening. You pay attention to each dog's detail when you don't have your own dog in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Watching but. a watching a houndsman work is such a beautiful thing because they do things that you think about doing without any effort. You know, it looks you can tell they've been there, they've done that, they know how to act in that certain situation, whether it's in competition, 
You know, you can tell the guy that's been in a lot of competition casts. You can tell the guy that's been on a lot of lion tracks. You can tell the guy that's been in a lot of bear races. Or, you know, I've never chased hares, but I'm sure you see the same thing, Seth. You know, that guy, they just make it look natural. It's part of their life. And that's what sets houndsmen apart. And that's what makes it so important for younger people who are striving to become houndsmen to understand and observe and see that from, from people. And I see it, I see it from people that, that are much younger than me. You know, when I, when I, when we travel around and we go to different places and I see them do things, I look at it and I think, man, that was smooth. You know, I I just, and, and you realize that they're on point. You just said a a part of life and that that it seems like it's a part of life. When you start talking about these great hunters, these guys that really, really, they do it so often that not only is it a part of their life, it's a part of their dog's life. Yeah. Like, and, and you know what I mean? Like, Definitely. It, it, just flows, it just flows smoothly because it's something that they do every day. It's yes, not exactly like, hey, let's go hunting this weekend. No, it's like these, these, <laughs> these hunters and these hounds do this stuff every day and that's why it clicks and that being retired that's, helps them a lot you know what i mean if i didn't have a well, full-time job i'd be there too <laughs> no and that's that and that's it goes back to the conversation way back when we were talking about placing puppies and whatever like life happens like we're all so busy some of us are you know busier than others whatever like i'm fortunate enough to have a job that i work weekends so i have a week to hunt um so it works out for me that I get to do, I get to hunt hounds a lot. Um, but, but the guys that, that are winning casts that are, that are, you know, catching a lot of hair, they find a way to do it as much as they possibly can. And that doesn't have to be every day, but it's probably going to be four or five days a week, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Man, we made a big loop right there. We really did. I, th- mm-hmm. but, you know, I think it goes back to that. We we absolutely have to be diligent in our. We've been placed in this world as stewards over this animal kingdom, and we mm-hmm. have to make good decisions when we are going to practice animal husbandry. There's no doubt about that, but there is also an argument to be made for the guy that's just a hard dedicated hunter that puts in the the boot leather and the time you know when you become that guy that's the houndsman he's not afraid to take a chance on you know who's piper i've never heard of piper but she you know lauren Verani has bred her piper female to this dog and i like the way the genetics stack up so i'm willing to take a pup and look at that and and work with it i think that's that's where that's where it really comes down the rubber meets the road is is taking every opportunity and like you said shorty finding that time making that time to be in the woods with that dog right actually giving it the shot or a you know the shot the chance the time Absolutely. the dedication yeah, there's and, nothing more frustrating than a dog that doesn't get a chance. Nothing right. more frustrating mm-hmm. for for yeah. a breeder, or I mean, if you really self reflect, 
Josh, it's even frustrating for the individual. You know, you, you want to talk about it. You want to talk about adding stress to your life, go spend money on a pup and then let it sit in the kennel. It subconsciously, that is going to add stress to your life. You know, mm-hmm. over it does. it does. It does me for sure. Yep. If I'm honest with myself. And then you, you get that feeling and you, you talk about this time of year. And, and I recently just told my young dog that I didn't want to sell that. I really liked, I really did like him. I think he's got a lot of potential and he went to a good home, but our work fired up. Uh, we had, we got just crazy busy all at once. And I knew that I was going to have to come home and hunt that puppy at least four nights a week. They have to be hunted that much at that age in my experience. And I knew that. I was going to have to drag myself at 9.30 when it gets dark, and I'm going to have to get up at 9.30 for work. And so I made a decision to sell a dog that I really did not want to sell. I mean, this dog was big. He was pretty. He was loud. He's got all kinds of potential. He was was coming along exactly how I wanted him to come along. But we also, that's a decision that we as houndsmen also have to make all the time. And sometimes it's easier to let him sit there and think, you know, I'll get to it next week, but you don't. You know, so you have mm-hmm. to really buckle down and make the hard choices. And then, you know, we have, like you said, we're stewards of not only wildlife, but these dogs, too. Yep. Yep. Couldn't agree more. I think that's absolutely sage advice. We got yeah, it's hard. this time of year, you know, it gets dark so late that, you know, get starting a dog and getting a dog really going. You're going to get less less sleep. That's for sure. That's the thing about raccoon hunting that I found so tough is that I'm a, I'm a early to bed, early riser kind of guy. And me and Lauren were out to like two in the morning. I couldn't even keep my eyes open for the drive home. Like I was so tired. She'd be talking to me and I would just doze out and then wake up halfway through the, her sentence and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You did fall asleep in the car and then just randomly wake up, but we could have just done it in shifts. I could have trusted you with my dogs. I could have gone out at night. And then you could have just taken them in the morning sometimes. Like, you there know, like- you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, man, right now, this time of year, my most productive time is, you know, I wake up, I wake up early. And as much as I try to retrain myself, I just, when it starts getting dark and you guys can make all the old guy jokes you want, but, but when it starts getting dark, I start getting sleepy. So Same. I'm like you, Seth, man, I, I'm early to bed, early to rise. If I get up and I, I, Gary Robertson's kind of the guy that that brought it to my attention. Dude, get up at four o'clock in the morning. You're awake anyway. If 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 you roll over, get up, get out of bed and go. You know, go for a couple hours. You got a two hours of training time right there. Mm-hmm. Yep. I send my dogs on on the plane down to you, Chris, and you can hunt them in the morning. Then how about that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, yep. I know where there's a good young dog that the guy just bought. If you want one. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, what kind of final thoughts we got to wrap this bad boy up? This has been, like I said, this has been a mosh pit, but I think we kept it on the tracks pretty good. Definitely. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think, Shorty? I think we were with that. I, hey, I'm just impressed we didn't over talk each other any more than we did. But no, I, I think it's, you know, it's good. Just, uh, Main thing is pick uh, pick a pup from somebody that's that's being successful uh, and go hunt them hard and and you got a good chance of being successful. Seth, what do you say? The only closing thought I have is two things. Josh, sorry I trampled all over you. <laughs> and two, 
And two, Shorty, if you don't like lazy dogs, don't ever own sighthounds. <laughs> oh, no, I like lazy dogs. I, yeah, my neighbor's got a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah, Pronto will sleep about 20 hours a day, and then he'll go out and hunt, and then he'll go back to sleep another. Lauren's seen it. She knows how lazy they are. <laughs> oh, you said lazy. I thought you said lacy. No, no, lazy. Have, and- yeah, yeah, yeah I got lazy. <laughs> but we're, we'll we'll have to make that an episode now because we have <laughs> down here we have a a Texas blue lacy right dog. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I've so, seen yeah, those. I thought you did. Yeah. Yeah. So Lauren, now we'll, anyway. we'll have to introduce the lacy dog. Lauren, what go. do you got? Well, uh, I appreciate you gentlemen letting me in on this conversation late. You know. <laughs> Things happen. I was, I was that's, on women. that's your fault. <laughs> that, you. yeah, no, I, I totally take I take ownership of it. It was my <laughs> fault. You know, I'm you know I'm late to almost everything. It, you guys will get to know that I'm never on time. So it is what it is. <laughs> I invited you to go coursing, and you woke up. By the time you were awake, I already had a hair in my fist. I was headed home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are different. I am. I. I I wake up a lot earlier than I used to, and I get going a lot earlier than I used to, even like five years ago. But um, anyway, um, I just uh, I appreciate the information that I've I've gotten even from you guys on this in regards to breeding and and litters and all that. And we'll see what happens with Piper and everybody. Cross your fingers or don't. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be good. Yeah. 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 It's jo- just like, don't let me keep all of them. If you uh, can, like- <laughs> that's what I'm worried about is that you're going to have a litter of puppies and then it's going to go from four to 13. <laughs> I, I've been telling myself I'll keep two. So. Oh, my word. But the other five are so cute. <laughs> hey, I'm not immune to that either, by the way. I just want everyone to know that. <laughs> I always want to keep them all. I really do. When I raise the litter, I'm like, wow, I could keep all these. And then reality sets in. Right. I, I think I'm going to be overwhelmed and overstressed and underslept that I'll be like, screw it. You know, I, I need as many gone as possible. I know I'm keeping two. Get them out of here. <laughs> there you go. Yep. I always start out that way. And then by the time it's pickup day, it's like somebody needs to come and get some dogs. So, <laughs> Josh? Big show, what do you got, man? Final thoughts. I just I just want to say I think it was a great conversation. First of all, a lot of everybody made some really good points. I do enjoy sitting down and talking to other houndsmen and women, of course, Lauren. And uh apologize to Seth for for getting a little salty back there with him. (laughs) Uh, I also want to say uh those coursing dogs, I have zero experience with them, but man, those are amazing animals. You need to come uh, see, bud. Long, come ride along. I will. I'm gonna. I'm gonna take you up on that one of these days because I'm not just a coon hunter. I'm a dog fan. Dogs that have jobs of any kind. Amen are, that. Always I've always been fascinated by them. So I you just I'm driving my buggy. So get over here, both you and Shorty. Yeah. Let's go. You it just, is jaw dropping. It is jaw. It's a mosh pit. We're all talking at the same time. <laughs> Lauren can back me up. It gets wild in the buggy, huh, Lauren? Uh, I liked it. I it, I don't think it was too much. I no, mean, it's like, just a blast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Adrenaline, though. So. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys are welcome anytime. Josh, you need to meet me in central Missouri or, or maybe, maybe Oklahoma and jump in with me. And we'll, you could leave a truck down at Lane's and I could pick you up on the oh, yeah. way. Yeah, I got a lot of buddies in Oklahoma. We can find a place leave a truck. Won't be yeah. a big deal at all. You just picked up a talking about working dogs. You just picked up a blue healer pup. I just did. I actually ended up with a red healer, and we we were talking about Lauren was talking about being window shopping and and being real picky. And man, it took me forever. I've been looking for one for a long time, and I finally got one booked that's six days old, and it'll be here ready to go in seven weeks. So. I'm so, excited about it. Yeah, I was going to give you a hard time. I mean, you've already got one blue tick. All that walker talk, you've already got one blue yeah. tick. I was going to yeah. give you a hard time about strengthening your pack, but you really went to the dark side oh. and went whole red tick. You red know, tick, I yeah. Am. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm straight up. I do love dogs. I, I don't <laughs> I say I love a per, an average dog, but I do love good dogs. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, guys, I really don't have anything to add to this conversation. You guys have done such a great job of of carrying the conversation here, and uh, I appreciate all the time and and all the the insight on this thing. I hope it hope it uh, was a useful conversation for people out there. I I think we need to do more of these HXP team. I think they're uh, just good conversations to have. It's the same kind of conversation you would have. It's tailgate or the local club or, or around the campfire and, and, uh, it's good stuff. So appreciate everybody. Appreciate everybody. So, thanks Hey, for me. you bet Josh. I, yeah. Special, special thanks to our guest, Josh McKellis for coming on. Josh, we always appreciate your support and everything you do for Houndsman XP and, and, uh, it's good to have good friends, man. It really totally is. Totally agree with that. Yep. You bet. Yep. So, guys, I'm going to wrap this thing up. And until next time, you follow your hounds and I'll follow mine.